0: So today we come to Genesis, or Exodus, I've been used to saying Genesis for so long. Exodus chapter 4. The story of Moses continues. Um, We read and studied chapter 3 last week, and we saw where the Lord was speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And that teaching is available online in various forms at aloveoutreach.com. what's on soundcloud.com backslash aloveoutreach. It's also available on iTunes where people can subscribe if they like. But today we'll go ahead and jump right on into verse 1 of chapter 4 where the conversation continues at the burning bush. It says... Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So to me, this is another good question from Moses here. One that I could see myself asking if I were in his sandals at this point in time, right? You see, Moses was not a man who... Thought highly of himself. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ today, we're told in the book of Romans, chapter 3, and verse 12, that we too should not think highly of ourselves. So Moses isn't here thinking to himself, Oh, it's about time that God noticed who I am. I've been waiting for this moment, God, where you'd finally recognize that I should be used by you. No, this was not the kind of person that Moses was. And there's not a man or a woman on the face of this earth today that is worthy to be used by God in this world. None of us are. And also when it comes to being used by God, not one man, not one woman, not one person is better than the next person. And throughout the Bible, we see people of humility being used by God. Not the high-minded, but the lowly. Minded people. And I have stressed it time and time again on this journey of ours through the Bible that we started back in 2009. I've stressed it the fact over and over that we must decrease in our own eyes, right? We must die more and more to our flesh led life and we must yield ourselves entirely to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are never worthy of anything from God. Proverbs says that a haughty spirit comes before a fall and that pride comes before destruction. So there is none worthy to be used by God and his purpose in this world, but each and every one of us should have a daily attitude of here I am God, use me if you see fit. And that's what we see with Moses here. And I think it's important that as we study about this man Moses, that we get the picture here that uh, of his character, that he's not someone that thinks that You know, this was his one shining moment. This is the day he's been waiting for. He does not think that way. He he goes on in verse two. uh, God, the Lord God says to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. Now, that's kind of how what I picture Moses doing here, just kind of looking at his hand as God asks him this question and saying, "Um, it's a rod. But keep something in mind here. Last week at the start of chapter 3, we saw where Moses was in the field, tending to his father-in-law's flocks. So he was a shepherd. Moses went from being a prince in a palace in Egypt to being a shepherd in a field. And as I mentioned last week, that can kind of remind us of the Lord, leaving his throne above to be born in a manger and to become our great shepherd. But here, Moses um, knew that he brought nothing. And all he brings is what he has in his hand, the the, the staff, the rod that he carries for his work. He's not carrying a rolled up diploma from Mount Sinai University. He's not a man of great credentials here. He's a lowly shepherd with a stick in his hand. You see, who you are, who we are in in God today, and, and what we do does not matter to God as long as we have been born again and are seeking His will for our lives on a daily basis. And you need not bring anything else to the table, just yourself, just your present circumstances, whatever that may be. Jesus said, sufficient for today are the troubles thereof. He wants us focused on today and where we are. And we just bring what we, what, what we have and who we are to God. You see, in our world today, though, they want you to have some credentials, and these things aren't bad in the world, things like college degrees and talent and experience and all of that kind of stuff that you gain in this world, but with God, though, from a spiritual standpoint, to God, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, right? It doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a professor or a taste tester. It really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you humbly bring yourself before the Lord your God, and like Moses, say, here I am, like we saw last week, right? And you know, God by His Spirit is calling out to people still today. He's calling out to each one of us. As I mentioned from Hebrews last week, God in these last days, has spoken to us in one final way, it says in Hebrews, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then what Jesus did was Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said that when He sent the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would bring us into remembrance of all that Jesus said and done, because ultimately, that's what we need to know, because He is our great shepherd. He's the one we are to follow, or He's our deliverer, Right? And as I said last week, all we need to do is listen to the Holy Spirit to turn your attention upon him. When God called to Moses from that burning bush, Moses turned his head and put his attention on there and said, here I am. And again, today the Lord is still calling out to us and desires for us to know him and desires that we would walk with him and that he would lead and guide us through this life. But again, it's so easy to get distracted from that walk. But we can't come to the Lord thinking too highly of ourselves. We need to come humbly. Again, no one is worthy. And don't make the mistakes of thinking that your achievements, your credentials mean anything at all to God. They may make you look good in the eyes of men, but that's as much of a reward as you're going to have. From a spiritual standpoint, they don't mean all that much. Our example is Jesus Christ. And like I said, he was born in a manger. He was despised and he was rejected by men. And he calls us not to greatness, but rather to servanthood. He calls us to humility. And when the scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, many churches sing that as a song, but it's more than a song. It's actually how God expects us to live. We are to humble ourselves and to follow after him. And verse three continues regarding Moses' rod or staff. The Lord says, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. So the only thing that Moses had, again, was this shepherd's rod, this staff that he used to, to do his work. And God said, cast it on the ground. This staff was no longer going to be used for tending sheep it was not going to be used in the way that moses had always used it it was now going to be used as a mighty instrument of god and i couldn't help but think as i study this what if you what if we cast our our lives completely our jobs our vocation on the ground before god and we just say god do what you will with it right your vocation submitted to the hands of God can be used in a mighty way. So the staff here turns into a snake and Moses is off and running, right? But I can't blame him. That That is exactly what I would have done if I were, again, in his sandals, right? I'd been out of my sandals and long gone, 100 yards away by now. But the Lord is trying to show Moses something here. He wants him to see that it's not going to be by the might of Moses that this task ahead of him will be accomplished, but rather it will be by the power of the Lord God Almighty. This is where the success of this venture will lie for Moses. And we too today need to realize that apart from God, we can do nothing. Many people in our world today, and even those that have come and gone before us, they lived or they, they, they live now or they ha- had lived in the past in a manner where they've made their life to be what they've wanted it to be. Or of some, we could say, well, they did the best they could with what they had. But this is not God's calling upon mankind. God has not left us here on this earth powerless to do the things we want to do and to live the way we want. To the contrary, He has given us His Holy Spirit that is, to those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, He has given His Holy Spirit to us to lead and guide us through this life. It seems to me that a lot of Christians think that their Christianity is something that they have in addition to everything else. It's just an achievement, something to check off. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I, I, you know, I'm a Christian, whatever, right? They, they live the way they want most of the year, year after year, and they make God part of their lives one or maybe two days a week. But coming to Jesus is not described like that in the Bible. It's actually described as all or nothing at all. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So he's saying, life is about Christ. Everything I do, it's about, I have a Lord. I have a master. I have someone I follow. I have someone I seek, someone I obey, someone I listen to in this life. So to live is Christ. Paul said to die is gain, meaning I'm going to go be with him when I die. So it's all about him here and it's all about him after here, right? But this is how we come to God today. We're to come with this kind of a heart, willing to sacrifice it all. And leave it all behind, cast it all aside. Like I've talked about for the past couple weeks, come out of Egypt. Come out of that place where you are striving to have the world by the tail or to to have all you can because God's got something else you're going to pick up by the tail, something else in store for you. It may be the very same staff that you've been carrying around all along. In other words, Just the simplicity of what you do, where you work. Nothing complex, you don't have to go and seek it out. It might be right there in front of you. Moses is carrying this rod and this staff and God's gonna use what Moses has, right? But when it's in the hand of God, when you take your life and what you do and and everything about it and you give it to God and you say, God, I'm gonna be obedient to do what you want. And you just cast it aside and say, well, the power of God can be used in your life in that way. You see, God took Moses out of Egypt, powerless and lowly. We, we've seen that so far. Moses, if you remember, he was fleeing for his life. But God is going to put Moses back in Egypt. But this time, he will have the power of God. Our Lord God wants to give us power in this world today but it starts with humility humility it starts with the lowliness of mind and it starts with casting everything to the ground casting it all aside and saying it's in your hands god and with moses here the course of his life will forever be changed he will not go back to egypt and be a prince again nor will he ever be a sheepherder on mount sinai again he will now be a shepherd for the Lord God. He will now be used by God for the rest of his life. This burning bush experience for Moses was the turning point of his life. And you know, at one time in history, Jesus spoke to his disciples, men and women that obeyed his commandment, and they, they did what he told them to do, and that was he told them to go back before he ascended back into heaven. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. He told them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And you can find that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said that when they received this power, that this would make them witnesses for Him. Their lives would forever be changed. They would not go out in the power of their own might, but rather they would go out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And... The way that they would live their lives would have a tremendous impact on all the rest of the world around them. They would actually be accused, if you read the book of Acts, they were accused of turning the world upside down, the early Christians. They were accused of turning the world upside down. But in reality, they were spreading a message that would set the world right side up. See, the world is upside down without Christ. The world is upside down without faith in Jesus Christ. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the world gets set right side up. In other words, that which used to be on the top of the list as important now becomes to the bottom of the list and and the Lord God becomes the most important things in our lives. And you know, all these years later from that time That day of Pentecost in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came upon them. All these years later, there's nothing new from a biblical standpoint. Nothing has changed in that sense. We still have the same task set before us that the early church had. To live lives that display just how Jesus lived in this world. That's how we are to live when He was here. And the Lord God is still calling out to people to humble themselves and heed his calling. And you know, on that day of Pentecost, when all those believers, there were 120 of them, the book of Acts records, that were gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem, right? Something was taking place. Jesus was about to do something, he was about to establish the church, also known as the body of Christ. You see, all of us have a calling. Anyone that has surrendered their lives to the will of God by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sin, being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us has a calling in Christ. And each and every one of us is a part of the body. Here today, right, we gather as a small body, a local body of believers, but the body is much larger than this worldwide. And within the, the body of Christ, to which the born-again person belongs, within this body, there are a multiple amounts of gifts, various things that each one of us is gifted by God to do. The main focus is still the same, which is to spread the gospel. But each and every one of us can bring something to the body of Christ. Too many people today look for a church body where they can get the things that they want or that they need out of a church. Certain programs, certain kinds of music, certain kinds of activities. You know, people look for churches that say, I want to go somewhere where I can have my needs fulfilled, where I can get what I want, where my family can have what they want. But what the Lord God is looking for in the body of Christ is servants, those that will put their wants and their so-called needs aside to help in the spreading of the gospel, the building of the body of Christ. The church in America today, as I see it, is pretty close to, if not already, dead because it does not function the way that it should. It has no impact on the world. The church today will never be accused of turning the world upside down. All I see with the church in America today is a church that is blended right in with the rest of the world and wants to look just like it and wants to act just like it and have everything that it has, right? You know, to use an analogy with you here this morning of what I'm talking about right now as it pertains to us being the body of Christ, as it pertains to us doing things, us being able to, to impact the world around us, if, if we were, from a physical sense, as it pertains to food, if we were to sit around all day, every day, and just eat food and stuff ourselves, we would just become fat, sick, and dead eventually, right? But on the other hand, if our eating habits, right, from this analogy that I'm using, if we only would eat the things that we need, and then we would get up and we would do things, we would burn what we eat, right, then be, we're a healthy body. This really is that simplistic. It doesn't seem very easy for all of us to do sometimes, but it's very simple. But our lessons here on Sunday morning as we study the Word of God, they're not nutritional lessons that pertain to our physical bodies, but what I teach here, what we seek out in the Word of God is spiritual lessons. And we, as the body of Christ, if we are just sitting around in our churches getting fat on worship music, getting fat on feel-good messages, camping trips, programs and activities and such, all these social activities, if that's all the church is about, then we are nothing more than a dead body. We don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. So my role in the body of Christ is to exhort others in the body through the teaching of the Word of God and to reach out to others that may listen to these teachings on the internet with the gospel of Jesus Christ and share the word of God. And in addition to this, I go out into the world with the love of Christ, doing the best I can to to live a life that is an example in my home and outside of my home of what the Lord God has shown me, of how Jesus is. That's what I hope to do day after day. And this is my role and this is my part in the body of Christ. It's just a small part, a very small part. But each one of us can take place in the body of Christ, has a part to to do, has a role in the body of Christ. Again, Moses would never be the same after this burning bush experience. And when you come to Christ, your life is never the same. Again, you've cast down your work as you know it. I'm not saying you quit your job. You're just turning it all over to God. You're turning everything over to Him. And he has something new for you. And the Lord now has something for Moses to do, right, for his will to be done. And if some may listen to this and say, well, I've never had a burning bush experience. Well, then this is it, right? The Lord is speaking to you today. Not that I'm anything, but everything that I've discussed so far this morning, every point that I have brought up is all found in the word of God. And we can go and we can seek it out and we can find it out for ourselves if what I'm saying here this morning is true. And if it is true, then this is your burning bush experience. Maybe God is speaking to you now and saying, yeah, I need to change some things. Yeah, I need to cast some things down and I need to surrender to the Lord and to his will. And God will not call you to do something unless he will empower you to do it. And verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Now, as I read this, I wonder how much time had elapsed before Moses actually reached out and picked it up off the ground. Again, it's easy to read the Bible and just like go through it like this and it's real easy to do that, but not realize, well, there's, there's a, a human element here involved. And how long, you know, did it take for Moses to say, what? You know, Pick this thing up? Is that really what you're asking me to do? And you know, as I read that, I thought, sometimes it's hard for me to do what the Lord asks of me to do, because I think, well, that's too embarrassing, or, or what if I'm wrong, Lord? What if this is just my own head speaking this? And what if this is not really you? But I've come to the conclusion in life that whenever something comes on my mind that's good, it can't be from me. I believe it's from God. If God tells me something to say to someone that's good, to do to for someone that's good, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's the Lord. Because... With this situation with Moses here, who was in control? Was it Moses or was it God, right? And when you know the Lord by his spirit is speaking to you and causing you to, calling you to do something, again, who's in control, you or the Lord? Yes, it will take faith to do what God speaks to you to do. And it took a huge amount of faith for Moses to do what he did as well. It may look like a snake to you, right? In other words, something that you want no part of, but God's telling you to do something. You don't want anything part of that. You don't want to touch that subject. You don't even want to go there. And Moses might be looking at this snake saying, No, I'm not, are you crazy? I'm not picking this thing up. And sometimes when God is calling us to something or calling us to grow deeper in Him, we want to hesitate. We don't want to touch that subject. Maybe we say, well, I've been down that road before, or or this, that, or the other thing. We have all these reasons, right? And we'll see that Moses is going to have a lot of reasons not to do something, right? And we might say, let someone else do that, right? You may feel like if you touch that thing, you'll get bitten. Or maybe you've been bitten before, and you don't want to do it again. So like Moses here, you run away, and you say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. But We don't see the Lord asking Moses if he's interested to do this, right? We don't see the Lord giving Moses an aptitude test to find out what best suits him in life either. It's the Lord that's in control. And the bottom line is, is it's not going to be by Moses's power that he's going to go out and do what he's going to do. It's going to be by the power of God that the task at hand will be completed. Again, Moses just needs to be a humble servant and obedient servant. So Moses takes the first step of obedience here and he picks up the snake by the tail and God shows his power and he turns it back into a rod. We today, again, we still walk by faith in the power of God and not by sight or we don't walk by what we feel we should do or what our strengths and our abilities are, are or, or what our desires are. We walk by faith in God. The Lord God. I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it were based on what I think of my own abilities, because I have no earthly right to be teaching others the Word of God. I have no credentials for this. I have no degrees, no college certification, nothing to do what I do. I honestly don't think that I'm a great teacher, but by faith, I just keep doing this. And I'll keep doing this until the Lord tells me to stop or he calls me home. I simply want to remain obedient to his will for my life. So the snake here again turns into a rod. And what is the reason that God showed this to Moses? Well, that question is answered in verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God is assuring Moses here that it's going to be by the mighty works of his power that these people will come to believe, right, that Moses is their deliverer. It's going to be by the mighty works of God. Again, what Moses has to offer doesn't matter at all today when we shine the light of the Lord on the people around us by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ it will not be our wonderful words or our eloquent speech or whatever that leads them to faith in Jesus it's instead it will be by the Holy Spirit's power that will lead them to Jesus our job is simple the Lord's work is powerful some will receive and some will refuse. But the Lord will show Moses a couple more things here. Verse six, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out his, of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. So just another mighty sign that the Lord is showing Moses to assure him that God will be with him, that it will be by his power. Remember, the task at hand here is to do what? Is to go redeem God's people from bondage. Today, it is sin that has people all bound up, it has people in bondage today. Sin is what weighs people down. And the gospel message of redemption in Jesus Christ is what will set them free. And it is God that is with us in the way that we live and in the way that we share that gospel to set people free. Verse eight, then it will be that if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they will believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So let's think about this for a moment. In the first sign that God shows Moses here, the rod, the shepherd's staff became a snake. But if you look down at verse 20, for a minute, let's skip down to verse 20. The rod is called something else here. At the end of verse 20 there, it's called the rod of God. You see, we will later see this rod be used in many mighty ways as we read through this chapter, or through this book. This rod will be used to part the Red Sea. It will be used to get water from a rock. It will be used to be raised up or held up in battle that will cause Israel to have a victory in a battle. But for now, we see this rod become a snake in this demonstration that God's given to Moses here. And this kind of reminds me of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, taking on the sin of the world upon himself. The Good Shepherd became sin for us, right? And that's what the serpent can kind of represent, sin. The second sign that God shows Moses was one of sin being taken away or something being washed and made clean, the leprous hand becoming clean again. And the third sign was the water becoming blood upon the ground, which reminds me of the blood of Jesus flowing from his side, right, and onto the ground as he died upon that cross. Blood and water flowed. You see, for us today, again, that's the final sign, Jesus. There is no other need for any other sign. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. But he said there'll be no other sign given other than the sign of Jonah, right, where Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale. Just like that, Jesus was three days in the belly of the earth. Jesus was buried for three days. And just as Jonah came out and walked again on the earth, Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. We don't need to seek after signs. We've got the final sign from God. It's Jesus and what he's done. You see, God has spoken to us now, like I said earlier and we talked about last week, in one final way. The message, the final sign that God has given us today is a simple one. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus was born God in the flesh. He lived, he loved, he healed, he showed compassion to many people when he walked on this earth. He went to the cross, he hung, he bled, he died, he was buried, he rose again. Those things are complete and that's it. That's the final signs for mankind. Now we simply await his second coming. And again, nothing new has happened since Pentecost, since the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came upon them. The the gospel is to go forth and people need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're still living in that time, right? And you don't need to be anyone special to let others know about these facts. Verse 10 says, Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have I have not I the Lord now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now pause right there for a moment, because God here is rightfully and righteously angry with Moses. After all, God had just shown Moses all these things, all these signs. Moses still wants God to go find someone else for this job. It's not me, God. I, I can't do this. Go find someone else. Again, all that that was going to be accomplished would be done by God's might, and not by Moses himself. And today, the, the born-again person that has the Spirit of God within them, we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. Do you, Do you think that it pleases God when We sit around as the body of Christ and do nothing for him, do nothing for his glory. Again, we need not bring anything to the table, just a willing and an obedient heart. But if you're not willing to be obedient to God, then you may need to examine yourself and say, why? Because God's shown you so many things, God's doing so much in your life. We see the evidence of God in creation We know his will. We see it in his word as we gather and we study it. We've got to get up and we've got to do something. We can't say no. This job was for Moses. And God doesn't make mistakes in his judgments. He knows that Moses is the man for the job and nothing is going to change that. What more can God do to show Moses here than what he's already done? Moses is not looking, though, at how big his God is. He's looking at how inadequate he is. And it does not make God happy when we do this kind of thing. Again, if I look at how inadequate I am to do what I do, and I I mean that sincerely, I feel extremely inadequate to, to just sit and teach the Word of God. But if I look at that and I say, no, I'm not going to do it, well, then I'm not an obedient person because I know that God is calling me to do this, but I have to step out by faith and do it. right, then verse 14 continues and says, and, and God said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. So, you see, the Lord wasn't giving this job over to Aaron now. Moses wasn't off the hook. This was still a work for Moses to do. He was the one that God was calling, and God is now allowing for Moses to have some help. But everything will be done through Moses. Leadership will be on his shoulders. Verse 17, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now, Moses wasn't very forthright, very Upfront about everything here with his father in law in regards to why he's going back to Egypt. He's not given his father in law the full story here, but at least he understands that his father in law had the right for him to ask him if he could go. And his father in law gives him his blessing here. Verse 19 And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt. For all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, I would think that this part of the story would have been very hard for Moses to hear. I'd be thinking, what? What do you mean, Lord, Pharaoh won't let them go? I didn't know this was gonna be how this was gonna work out, right? I'm not trying to read anything into the story here, but that would just be the reaction of mine if I were Moses and I heard this here. This seemed like an overwhelming task to begin with for Moses. He really didn't want to do it in the first place. And to think that it wasn't going to be cut and dry, it wasn't going to be a get in and get out kind of thing, that must have been very difficult to hear. But again, God's ways are not our ways, are they, right? We'd probably be thinking, come on, God, just make this thing happen quick. I don't want to go through all of this. I don't want to go through these hardships. God, just make this happen But God does not see as man sees. And again, we must simply just walk in by faith, in obedience, all the way till the end in this life, until we're in his presence. But God continues speaking to Moses here. And in verse 22, he says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Now pause right there, because if you remember as we studied Genesis, Israel started out as a man named Jacob. His name was changed to Israel, from whom came 12 sons. Those 12 sons spawned the 12 tribes of Israel, which became a great nation of people, a multitude of people. And God refers to them here now as his son, his firstborn. This is what They are to the heart of God. They are like a child to him, a group of people that he loves with an unending unending love, an everlasting love. So God tells Moses to say these things to Pharaoh. Verse 23 continues, So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So look, God's serious about this thing. God means business in this thing. His people are in bondage. These are God's people. They're in bondage and that's not his plan for them. So Moses has his instructions and he's off and he's on his way to do the job at hand. But then verse 24 says, and it came to pass, on the way at the encampment, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. Now, this seems to be a very mysterious set of circumstances, a very odd couple of verses of scripture here as it pops into our story. And, and I encourage you to think on this explanation and to study it for yourself as I always do. Like I've said in times past, I don't consider myself as a Bible teacher to, as the end all be all that what I say, you should take every word of it. I believe you should study the word of God yourself. I believe that you should test what I say. I believe you should go and read the Bible yourself and see if it's really there, right? Because that's how many cults and many religions get started. Somebody gets up and teaches and people begin to follow that one teacher. But anyway, I'm kind of going off on a rabbit trail here. But I'm about to give you an explanation of what I believe is happening here in these verses. And I'm not the first one to say this either. I'm not the first one to say or to think what I'm what I'm about to tell you here. But Moses was going to be used by God, we know, to do what? He was going to give the law to the children of Israel, God's people. Ultimately, we will get there. God, Moses is going to give them the law. And part of that law was the law of circumcision, okay? But Moses was not married to a Hebrew woman, right? He was married to a Midianite woman. And circumcision was not their way of doing things. So Moses with his son here had a son, it seemed, that was not circumcised. Well, obviously he was not. So Moses was not following in the ways of his people. He was not following in the way that God commanded for him to do. If you remember, we saw this act being done, the act of circumcision, all the way back in the time of Abraham as well. So this was nothing new amongst the people. It would soon become part of their law as well, that they would have to do this. But Moses had been disobedient in this matter himself, as it pertained to his own son. He's probably probably been bringing up this subject to his wife time and time again, who wants nothing to do with the idea. She probably didn't want to hear, didn't want to hear about this and didn't want her son to be circumcised. So now God's going to deal with Moses for his lack of obedience. He's not being obedient to God and God's going to deal with him. But then all of a sudden Moses's wife has an outburst of anger and she performs the act of circumcision on their son and in essence says, here you go, Moses, is this what you want? You want blood? You're nothing but blood to me anyway. She probably doesn't understand and doesn't agree with this whole moving to Egypt thing. But God didn't speak to her, did he? God didn't have to okay this with Moses' wife, did he? And there's a lesson in this. For husband and wives today. If God calls a man to do something, he must be obedient to it, because otherwise it's a spiritual death to the person that's not obedient to what God wants them to do. Right, so anyway, that's kind of what I see in those couple of verses, and it's hard without not knowing the full story there to really understand, so in a way those verses can be mysterious. But This is something that needed to be taken care of, obviously. And the woman bursts out in anger here as if she's frustrated by something going on. So maybe that's what was taking place here. Again, these are difficult verses in the scripture. But verse 26 starts out basically uh, telling us, right, that God doesn't kill Moses because his son is now circumcised. It says, so he... That's God, right? It should be capitalized, the word he there in your Bible. So he let him go. In other words, God didn't kill Moses because his wife already took care of the situation. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So again, it appears that old zippy here, Zipporah, right? Was nothing to do with this hebrew way of living she's not too pleased with this whole circumcision thing that the ways of the hebrews do the children of god and then as we saw back there in verse 14 god told moses back there in verse 14 that moses or that excuse me that aaron would meet him on the way and that aaron would be glad to see him we saw that back there And now in verse 27, that is going to take place. It says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So there's the fulfillment of what we read earlier. Aaron was going to be the talker, but it was through Moses that God would do his mighty works. And again, God is still speaking to people today through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one that will do the works in the hearts of of men and women. I can't sit around when I share the gospel, when I teach the word of God and get too frustrated or worried about the person that doesn't seem to be getting it. I just have to do what I'm called to do and let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do in a person's life. Our job is just to be led by the Spirit and to tell people about the finished work of Christ and to live it out to live what the gospel says, to live what the Word of God says within the New Testament, right? So we are to give people the gospel message in one way, shape, or form. And verse 31 says that, the, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that, that He had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads in worship. And you know what? Verse 31 is what the power of the gospel can do today as well. It can cause people to believe. It can cause people to understand, like we see there in verse 31, that God has visited the world today and that He cares about what afflicts people today, which is sin Right? Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And then when that person hears that, they can come to the understanding that God has looked on their affliction and has come to set them free from sin and death. And what that can cause them to do, like we see in verse 31, is then to bow down their own heads and worship the Lord for themselves. But it's all done by the power and the might of the working of God. It's all done by the working of His Holy Spirit. Again, we're all part of the body of Christ because we've heard the gospel message and we've received it. And we should be a people that now understand who God is and what He's done. And we should be a people that then bow our heads and worship God. In other words, we turn our hearts over to Him. We become a people of worship, a reverent people a people that desire to live our lives for God as we go through this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, your living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, your word that can discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Lord, as we read your word today, again, we are challenged to grow we are challenged to, to maybe cast something else to the ground, to let go of something that we are holding on to, and to give it over to you and to see you perform a mighty work with it. God, the thing that you want most of all is our hearts. And I pray that each and every one of us here and those that are listening by the recording would surrender. We would surrender all of our hearts completely to you, entirely to you, Lord. That your mighty work can be done within our lives and through our lives. That others will be able to to look and to see the work that you have done or are doing within us and that they too would desire to know you. That they too would desire to to be a person that would bow their heads in worship to you. But Lord, it begins with us. And Lord, it starts with us humbly coming before you and casting aside everything and and laying aside all of our excuses of why we can't or why we don't or all the past excuses of of whatever has, has weighed us down before God from coming to you. We've got to cast it all down and let you do your work within our hearts. So I pray, Lord, that we will bring our hearts to you completely. And we thank you again for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.